Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Two Heroes Buried Side by Side, But Only One Came Home. We dedicate this episode today to all our loyal listeners in law enforcement around the world who will immediately recognize some of the truisms discussed in today's story. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 471 in the files of the Chief Brickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. It's a real head-scratcher that has defied our best efforts to understand how and why the mystery began so long ago. I'm your host, Rick Stone, and this is another great true story from our vault of history's military mysteries, where there are a lot of clues, but no solution yet. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. And now, on with our show. Whether you are a police detective or a military investigator or just an avid fan of the plethora of whodunit mysteries on television these days, there are are just some cases that you just shake your head and say, how the heck did that happen? Well, today we have a case that's one of my personal favorites that fits into that head shaker category. In the older days of law enforcement, before modern forensic evidence and cameras everywhere recording everything, when you interrogated a criminal suspect, particularly one who had been a career criminal for a long time, the first thing they usually said in interrogation was, hey, and then insert whatever non-complimentary descriptive name or phrase you'd like to put in there. But they would say, hey, if you think you've got a case, file it. Otherwise, leave me the heck alone. Well, in today's world, the same career criminal is bold enough to say, hey, well, here you go, insert another similar profane descriptor. But he would say, hey, if you ain't got pictures, you ain't got spit. Or... Maybe something you ain't got that rhymes with spit. In today's case on No Home for Heroes, we have a case and we have pictures. But we still don't have, well, you get the idea. Edwin Harold Vansell was born in Yelm, Washington in 1924. He was known as Buddy to his family and friends. And he grew to a whopping 5 foot 6 inches tall and 137 pounds before he completed the 7th grade in 1940. Buddy was accepted into the United States Marine Corps in Tacoma, Washington, and was formally enlisted in Seattle, Washington, on 16 October 1942, when he was given the rank of private. He had brown eyes and a ruddy complexion, and his official records indicate his hair color was light brown, but, you know, I've stared at his photograph for many years now, and it appears to indicate that the color of his hair might have been much darker than light brown. Private Vansell's last dental examination was on 6 November 1942, shortly after his enlistment. 
His dental profile included seven fillings, no extractions, and no wisdom teeth noted at the time of the exam. Buddy had a very distinctive gold bridge across three of his lower left molars, which will become a very important clue in this case. Private Vansel's medical records indicate that he had no previous bone fractures, breaks, birthmarks, or tattoos. He had a two-inch scar on his left ankle, and his cap size was seven. He was issued six and a half double E shoes or a size seven E dress shoe. He had 20-20 eyesight in both eyes. This would become very important to Buddy later on in his Marine career. Private Vansel began his Marine Corps basic training as a member of the 9th Recruit Battalion at the Recruit Depot in San Diego, California. And during his basic training, Private Vansel used that 2020 eyesight to earn the Expert Marksman Medal. After completing Marine Corps training on 15 January 1943, Private Vansel was transferred briefly to the 11th Replacement Battalion to await further orders. And just four days later, he was assigned to attend tank school at the Fleet Marine Force Training Center at Camp Elliott, San Diego, California. On 13 March 1943, Private Vansel was transferred to C Company, that's Charlie Company, 1st Corps Tank Battalion that was then stationed at Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California. His assignment with the company was as a recon, reconnaissance, or a rifleman whose job was to escort the M4 Sherman medium tanks from outside the tank. Due to limited visibility by the tank crew from inside the tank, the recon's role was to prevent the heavy tanks from falling into traps and to point out targets. In April 1943, Private Vansel and his company completed training at the Tank Battalion Training Center at Camp Elliott. On 19 July 1943, Private Vansel and members of his company embarked aboard the SS John McLean in San Diego Harbor for transport to Wellington, New Zealand. Private Vansel and a number of other selected members of his company were detached for special duty in Numea, New Caledonia on 6 October 1943. And later on in November 1943, Private Vansel was transferred from Numea to Tarawa on board the USS Ashland, a tank landing ship. During the invasion of Tarawa on the morning of 20 November 1943, Private Vansel distinguished himself. They are best described in a citation for him for the Silver Star Medal for Heroism. I'll read it to you. Quote, The President of the United States of America takes pride in presenting the Silver Star posthumously to Private Edwin Harold Vansel, United States Marine Corps, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity. I can't even say that word, much less do it. Intrepidity as a member of the 2nd Tank Battalion Reconnaissance Party attached to the 2nd Tank Battalion, 2nd Marine Division, during action against enemy Japanese forces on Tarawa, Gilbert Islands, 20 November 1943. Defying constant danger from enemy machine gun and mortar fire while assisting his unit in laying a 1,800-yard lane of channel markers over a shell and bomb-packed coral reef, Private Vansel valiantly made of himself a human marker in order to signal assault tanks to successfully land on the beachhead when the floats 
were carried away by heavy surf. Then, in the face of almost certain death, he voluntarily pressed forward and conducted a reconnaissance within enemy lines, pointing out targets which could have been detected from within the tank or the fact that they could not be detected from within the tank. He was killed by hostile fire. Private Vansell's relentless fighting spirit, daring aggressiveness, and heroic self-sacrifice directly contributed to the success of our forces in that area and were in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Services. He gallantly gave his life for his country. End quote. Well, that's the official story of Buddy Vansell and his death. Well, here's what really happened. According to my friend Sergeant Ed Gazelle, who helped us find another MIA, if you'll recall, back in Episode 9 titled Goldie Goes Home, Sergeant Gazelle said, quote, Vansel was in my Higgins boat. He was one of the recon guys, and I think he was assigned to Lieutenant Sheedy's tank. When we grounded on the reef and the ramp went down, Vansel jumped out and circled around to find Sheedy's tank, just like he was supposed to do, and I never saw him again. Later on, I took cover behind Sheedy's tank that was stalled in the water just off the beach. End quote. Lieutenant William Sheedy was the first platoon leader and landed on Red Beach 1 on 20 November. His tank, which was nicknamed Chicago, was lost close to the beach in a shell hole. While Lieutenant Ed Bale, the C Company's commanding officer, was pushing inland with two tanks, guided by Private Vansel, he sent but he back to locate Lieutenant Sheedy and to bring his first platoon tanks into the combat in the interior of the island as soon as possible. I interviewed Lieutenant Bale, later on Captain Bale, a few years before he died, and he said he never saw Vansel or Sheedy again until the afternoon of 23 November 1943 when the battle was over. Captain Bale told me that he found Lieutenant Sheedy laying down on the sand, and Private Vansel laying next to him. Lieutenant Bale also said that, quote, this kid, meaning Private Vansel, had his hand on Sheedy's back, and they were both shot from a machine gun position across that cove. We buried them on the beach, end quote. And now things start to go wrong with this story. In 1944, the island commander, a man named Captain E.C.B. Gould, snapped a photo of the gravesite of Lieutenant Sheedy and Private Vansel. And, just as Lieutenant Bale said, their graves were side by side, marked with white crosses with their names on it, in a two-person cemetery labeled Cemetery 17 on the island commander's map. Two years later, in March 1946, the Army Graves Registration Service, or AGRIS, they arrived on Tarawa with Captain Gould's map and the photographs of the gravesite. And in just a couple of days on the island, AGRIS found, recovered, and identified Lieutenant Sheedy. And ultimately, Lieutenant Sheedy was sent to Honolulu to be buried in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, also known as the Punchbowl Cemetery. Lieutenant Cheedy is in Section A, Grave 46, correction, Grave 486, where he lies in honor to this day. But 
<laughs> and there's always a but in history's military mysteries. There's no record that the Army Graves Registration Service found Private Vansel. And none of the four unknowns found by Agris on the day that they found Lieutenant Sheedy's by Lieutenant Sheedy's remains, none of those unknowns biometrically match Private Vansel. Remember we talked about Buddy's distinctive gold bridge? There are no Tarawa unknowns to this day that have the intention that show that show a gold bridge the same as Buddy Vansel had. And if you think the mystery stops here, you'd be wrong. On 13 May 1947, Captain Bale wrote a letter to Captain E.C. Clark, who was apparently investigating the failure to recover the remains of Private Vansel. I found that letter in the official military personnel files in St. Louis, Missouri. Part of that letter states, and I quote, in many respects, I feel that the failure to locate and identify Private Vansel's body is due to negligence in the handling of the records. I am particularly concerned with this case as I feel that Private Vansel rendered invaluable service on the day prior to his death and because I witnessed the burial. If I were to return to Basio today, I believe I could walk to the spot where Private Vansel and Lieutenant Sheedy were buried. Any further information you or the Vansel family may desire, I will be glad to supply if possible. Signed, Edward L. Bell, Jr., Captain, United States Marine Corps. In this letter, Captain Bale included a map with the exact location where Private Vansel was buried. It coincided exactly with the map given to Agris by Captain Gould of Cemetery 17, where Lieutenant Cheedy was found. And if you think the mystery stops there, <laughs> you'd be wrong again. There's a handwritten pencil note in the lower right corner of Captain Bale's letter, which says, quote, CAG, that's C-A-G, said, This info would not help the Agris, not to be sent to Lieutenant Waite, end quote. And the little handwritten note is signed E-C-C which is the letter's addressee, Captain E.C. Clark. Now, CAG, the, you know, the letter's CAG usually is a designation for a commanding officer at some level. And Lieutenant Waite was an officer in Agris in 1947. So, you loyal listeners in podcast land, we have known facts regarding the circumstances of an MIA's death. An MIA who was awarded the Silver Star for Heroism. We have a witness to his burial, and we have not one, but two maps of his burial location. Well, you know, I'd pretty much say we have enough evidence to file a case, don't you think? If that isn't enough, we have the proverbial pictures of the gravesite as the spit. Bottom line, how did Agris not find Buddy when they assumed Lieutenant Sheedy in 1946? And why did the commanding officer in 1947 decide not to forward Captain Bale's affidavit and his map to the Army Graves Registration Service? We just simply don't have answers to those questions. But we have more questions. 
if Private Harold Buddy Vansell does not match any unknown recovered from Tarawa in 1946, then where is he? Is Buddy one of the 33 sets of remains recovered from Tarawa since 1947 that the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency cannot identify and who sit in cardboard boxes in the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency Laboratory in Honolulu? Is he in one of those 33 cardboard boxes? Or is Buddy's grave still undiscovered on Tarawa to this day? Maybe it's time to get those two maps out of the files and go back to search again. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Hero. Our production engineer, Cindy, has suggested that we add a special feature to our podcast which recognizes other MIAs who were company mates of our podcast subject. We think this is a great idea because an old proverb states, that if someone says your name, you are not forgotten. Here are Private Vansell's company mates who are also missing, but who are also not forgotten. Private Owen Clayton Avant. Private William Carroll Donaldson. Master Gunnery Sergeant Alphonse Dumai. Corporal Sebastian Maka Gardy. Corporal Paul Joseph Holland, Staff Sergeant Carol George Lucy, Corporal Harold Charles McGeehan, Private James William Mulligan, and finally, Corporal Hester Scott Webb. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio Podcasts, Blueberry, or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>